First Presbyterian. My name is Chip Kalsert. I'm the director of student ministries. We are so thankful that you're with us this morning. If you would, please find the black vinyl notebook at the end of your pew. Go ahead and write your name. We ask that both members and guests do this just to let us know that you're here this morning. While you're doing that, I'd like to turn your attention to the calendar and announcements page of this morning's bulletin. We have a very full week in the life of our church, and so uh, be patient with us, be attentive, uh, and you'll, you'll be equipped to take part in everything that's going on. This evening, from 5 to 6.30, we have small groups. Sybil Major's group will be meeting that, at that time, and also Bill and Lynn Crawford's group will be meeting. The addresses are in the bulletin, so you could go uh, there at those times. They would love to have you. There's also a middle school party tonight to celebrate the end of our school year. It's from 4 o'clock to 7 p.m. at Lake Mayland. There should be an email to middle school parents. If you need any more information than that, feel free to give me a call or a text, and I'd love to get it to you. Uh, just one last heads up on the middle school party, uh, and you can see this in the bulletin. There will be hiking, climbing, zip lining, and roasting hot dogs. So if you're heading out and you're throwing a backpack on or something like that, you also may want to add a towel because if you don't do zip lining just right, it could be more like a polar plunge, and we just, we just want you to be prepared. Uh, next Sunday, we will be recognizing the graduating seniors in our church, and so that will be a, a big day and a great celebration. Uh, this week, on May 1st, the final balances for RYM payments are due. If, if, uh, if that would be difficult, just shoot me a text. We can find a way to, uh, to get around that, a payment plan, something like that. I'm thrilled. There are 55 adults and students from our church that are going to RYM this year. So please be praying for those events as they come up. A huge event this week is our end of the school year uh, church picnic. This is for all ages. In the bulletin, it says May 3rd. Don't go on May 3rd. Go on May 2nd. That's this Wednesday night. If you end up at a church picnic out at the east bank of the dam on May 3rd, that's not our church, but be friendly. Uh, I don't know if the food will be as good for $5. Uh, adults can eat chicken and sides if you'd like to bring anything else. Um, please do so for sharing or for, for uh, just kind of rounding out your meal. We also uh, will ha- be having children eating free. Do we have a, a age that we're cutting that off at? I uh, don't know. Okay. Children are eating free. Adults are $5. Uh, if you'd like, you can do- make a donation uh, to the MICA Project in honor of your mama for Mother's Day this year. Uh, that could be done this, this week. If it's done this week, the MICA Boys, some of the funnest wildest growing Christian leaders in the Latin American world will send your mama a video telling them how much they appreciate uh, your contribution. The high school party for the end of our school year will be next Sunday night, 4 to 7 p.m. Uh, the Crows are providing crawfish for us. We'll be hosting it at Katie and my house. We'd love to have you. Uh, you have exams the following week, most high schoolers, so you may want to study before then so that you can join us next Sunday night. The women in ministry have a fellowship dinner, not this, but the following Wednesday night. Our own Lindsay, Lindsay Kyle is the speaker this year. Um, if you'd like to RSVP this week, we, we'd encourage you to do so. You can tear off the, the bottom of your insert and put it into the offering plate with your information, or you could send an email to Jenny Ruth Kennedy. Finally, the sanctuary flowers are given this morning to the glory of God. And in memory of William Ryan and Betsy Lauren Denton by Bill and Day Denton. Let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Good morning. Please take your bulletin as we begin. The call to worship is a responsive call to worship from Psalm 124. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. What did God do to help us? God chose the people of Israel to make a new beginning. They received God's covenant and prepared the way for Jesus to come as our Savior. Let us worship the God of the covenant, the God of heaven and earth. Let us pray. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we come to you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior and Lord, and we praise you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit on this day, in this place. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, and praise you, Lord, that you are the God who made heaven and earth, and you gave us the opportunity to live, and through faith in Jesus Christ, we truly live. We praise you for that gift, Lord. We pray that you would... Honor us with your presence in this place as we worship today, that you would come and touch our hearts and draw us into your presence. And Lord, that we might glorify you in this service of worship. Speak to us, Lord, is our prayer. And may you be pleased with what comes from this place. We pray through Jesus, our Lord and King. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 47, Fairest Lord Jesus. Please stand. fun weekend to be a Meridian. Uh, there was a lot of excitement about the Max. There were so many events going on around town. Suddenly, there were really smooth roads to drive to those events downtown. <laughs> Thrilling. Everyone I spoke to spoke optimistically, culturally, economically, politically, about what's happening in Meridian. Paul wrote a letter to a young pastor of an up-and-coming city. 
First Timothy is written to Timothy, the young pastor of Ephesus. Ephesus, y'all, was on the way up politically, culturally, economically. And you know what Paul's charge was? He said, Tim, speak this to the men. Charge those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the on the the inexpectability of riches. Instead, charge them to be rich towards God, who richly provides all of our needs for us to enjoy. Charge them to be rich in good works, thereby laying up for themselves a treasure in front of them. And then one of the most beautiful phrases of the New Testament and thereby grabbing hold of that which is truly life. It's possible to get so consumed with our full schedules and full to do lists that we're so immersed in ourselves. We're so unable to see what's going on in the lives of anyone around us. that We're not grabbing hold of that, which is truly life. That deadness you feel when you're immersed in yourself because your schedule's just so tight. That's the tendency of our souls. That's where we go. This morning, as we read our corporate confession of sin, we're acknowledging to God our tendency to neglect who he is. We're acknowledging to God our tendency to neglect everyone else. God has not withheld his own son from us. When we think of him and we think of others, we're stepping into that which is truly life. Life with him. We're acknowledging that tendency in ourselves and we're asking that he would change our hearts. This is a responsive corporate confession of sin. Please follow as I read the top half and please read with me the bolded portion below. God of everlasting love, we confess that we have been unfaithful to our covenant with you and with one another. We have worshipped other gods, the gods of money, power, greed, convenience. We have served our own self-interest instead of serving only you and your people. We have not loved our neighbor as you have commanded nor have we rightly loved ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God, and bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and one another. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please take a moment to confess your own sins silently before our Lord and Maker. God, you know our hearts, you know our tendency to become consumed with ourselves, to neglect your kindness towards us, the beautiful weekend that you created for us, your presence and approval in our lives that are gifts because of your son's sacrifice. We neglect to love others the way that you've loved us. It's crazy to be loved like we've been loved by you and neglect to love others. And yet that's the tendency of our, our souls. That's where we creep to. God, I pray that you would have mercy on us and transform us. God, we thank you for this assurance of pardon that you do treat us better than we deserve. For we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. We will reign with him provided we suffer with him. God, you are so good to invite us into your family, to make us part of your family through adoption. God, I pray that you would do a work in us today as we worship, today as we set aside one day in seven to honor you and to pursue you. I pray that we would pursue you. And God, I pray that you would pursue us even now as we pray, as you've taught us all to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to think with me for a moment about what we are about to do. We, last Sunday we celebrated the Lord's Supper, the last, and again, the celebration of Holy Communion is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's one of two, what we call sacraments, the other being baptism. So what is a sacrament? You know, when I was teaching confirmation 
as a youth director a long time ago, I said to the kids as I was teaching them that sacraments are pledges of our allegiance to Christ. It's something that we do, right? I really wish I hadn't taught that because it's really so much greater than that. What I was talking about was just a small part. It's something that we do. And it really goes to what salvation is. What is salvation? It's the work of God. It's the work of God on our behalf. And we would like to give ourselves a whole lot more credit for our salvation than we should. Because if God has saved us, it is something He has done. And it should be marvelous in our eyes. So when we're teaching the kids now, Bo and I teach them that uh, a, sacra- a sacrament is a, a sign and a seal of our engrafting in relationship with Christ. All right, what's a sign? How about the sign in the sky on a night sky of Batman? You know, you, you see the Batman, sa- Batman sign in the sky? That's the symbol of something real, right? Now, come on, Batman's real. Help me out here. So that's a sign of something that's real. Baptism is a sign of something a whole lot more real than Batman. And you know what a seal is? It's one of those official documents that could be sealed with wax to show how important it is. So baptism is a seal. It seals us in our relationship to Christ and is a guarantee that God is at work. Now, in just a moment, sweet little Ella is going to get a little wet. And so if, if the Holy Spirit's not involved in this sacrament, then she's just getting wet. But we're asking the Holy Spirit to be involved in this. And so it's not just that she's getting wet. And the parents are involved as well because by faith, they're entrusting their gift of a daughter to the Lord. And so faith and what the Holy Spirit is doing are both supernatural things that make this extremely real. Because we live by faith, not by sight. So a lot of the things that we do in church, like the Lord's Supper, like communion, like baptism, might seem strange to people that aren't Christians. But as a Christian, we understand that we're dealing with a whole unseen world, which is very, very real. A lot more real than we are. What God is doing in the heavenlies and what God is doing here on earth. So the sacrament of baptism for an infant has to have parents with faith. And that's where these parents are coming in faith to entrust their daughter to the Lord. He has given them the gift of the daughter. And so we're asking the Lord. And they are asking the Lord. Put your mark on our daughter. And as she grows, work in her through the Holy Spirit to bring her to faith in Jesus Christ. The second part of this is not just what the parents do, but what the congregation does. Because we as a congregation help this family in the rearing of their child, in teaching Sunday school, in teaching children's church, in helping in the nursery, in in helping at picnics, doing all kinds of things so these children see the love of Christ throughout the congregation and feel a part of this family of faith even before they know Jesus, even before Christ is their Savior. And then the third and most important part is what God does. And the water is a symbol of cleansing. And no, when I pour this water on her, it does not cleanse her of her sins. But it symbolizes that. It's a sign of that. It's a seal of that. Asking God to begin a work in her heart so that as she grows and as she learns in Sunday school about the love of Jesus for her and what Jesus did on that cross for her, then one day she embraces Jesus as her Savior and Lord and confirms what takes place right here. So no, this does not save. But it points to the work of Christ in us that comes as she grows and understands who Jesus is. So with that being said, that's what baptism is about. Representation is what we talk about all the time. We represent others in the faith. And these parents represent little Ella in her faith until she can represent herself before the Lord. And with that being said, I'd like to introduce to you Chris and Amber Harold. And they have a son who's almost three who's a lot happier in the nursery. And so Cody's in the nursery. And this is Ella. And Ella is about nine months old. 
And uh, she is as cute as can be. And you don't have any idea what's coming. But it's going to be fun. But it's going to be more than fun. It's going to be exciting what God does in your life, Ella. And her family is here. Everyone knows Chuck, Lynn, and Amy, and we're so glad to have you all here. And I'd like to ask Greg Maranto as a rooting elder to come and represent the family and represent this church family as she is baptized in just a little bit. And, and so there are vows that you take on Ella's behalf, Chris and Amber, and then the congregation will take vows. But first I'll ask you these questions on Ella's behalf. Do you acknowledge Ella's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for Ella? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for her salvation as you do your own? Do you now unreservedly dedicate Ella to God? And do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit that you will live an exemplary life before her? Do you commit yourself to pray with and for Ella to teach her the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? And finally, do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of the church, to bring up Ella in the loving discipline of the Lord? And now to you, the members of this church, do you acting for yourselves and on behalf of the whole body of Christ, do you assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of their daughter? If you do, say, we do. Secondly, do you commit yourself to set a godly example before her to provide as far as you are able all that is necessary to the end that one day Ella may confess Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior? If you will do that, will you signify that by standing? And would everyone stand, member or not? Let us pray. Father God, how we thank you for this day. This is a special day for the Harold family, the Lafleur family, and we just thank you for the gift of Ella to this family. Father, we know that, that Ella doesn't understand what's going on, but that's okay, Lord, because we know you do. And we praise you and invite your presence through the Holy Spirit into this place. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful and precious promises that you've given to us for our children. And so we ask that what does take place here this morning, that what's about to happen with Ella's baptism, would be blessed in heaven. We pray, Father, that you would set apart this water from its common use to the holy use and mystery for which it's designed. And would you bless Ella with your touch. Through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Ella, Brooke, Harold, child of the covenant, I baptize you, my little sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank you for Ella. And as my hand is upon her head, thank you that your hand is upon her. Mark her for you, Lord. Touch her heart. Open her heart to love you and serve you all of her days. I know she's a blessing to this family. Make her a blessing to the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, I have a gift from the Women in Ministry, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we give that to you on behalf of the church. Let's welcome the newest member of our church, Ella Brooke Harrell. Let's continue our worship as we stand and sing Freely, Freely, hymn number 627.
should remain standing as we continue our worship by stating the creed of our faith, the Apostles' Creed. Christians, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, we invite all children four years old to first grade to Children's Church. You'll stand in this narthex until you are led to your classroom by one of your teachers. And we'd also like at this time to invite the ushers forward as we continue our worship to God with the giving of his tithes and our offerings. Oh, my God. 
Lord, we thank you for these gifts that you have given us in which we now return to you. Lord, in your favor and in your kindness, would you give us wisdom and blessing and favor to use these gifts well for the telling of your wondrous story? Would many hear? Would the needs of those who most have need here in our city be met? Would this church and the souls you've entrusted to us be cared for? Would these funds be used well for your glory's sake and for the good of this city and for the world? Amen. Thank you, Robbie. Robbie is one of our new members, in case you did not know her. And so um, thank you. Thank you, Michael. This is the fourth part in the series, The Letter to the Thessalonians. It's entitled, Now We Really Live. So if you turn in your Bibles, uh, and in the pew rack is a, a Bible, if you'd like to follow along as well. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. I'll read all 13 verses of that chapter. My sources include... J. Philip Arthur's The Patience of Hope, commentary from the Wellwind Commentary Series. John R. W. Stott, The Message of First Thessalonians from the Bible Speaks Today series. Richard Phillips uh, from the Reformed Expository Commentary on First Thessalonians. An article by Rick Warren, Tell Visitors Why They Need a Church Family. And then uh, a book by Tim Keller, The Reason for God. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word. Hear the word of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. 
so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you were standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this, your word. Please speak to us and teach us your word and your truth. In your name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Asian Access, or what is called A2, is a Christian missions agency in South Asia. It lists a series of questions on their website that some church planners have been asking new believers who are considering baptism, adult believers. Due to safety concerns, Asian Access does not mention the country's name, but the country is predominantly Hindu And over the past few decades, Christianity has grown in popularity there, especially among the poor and the tribal peoples. Here are the seven questions that serve as a reality check for us and for new, for what new followers of Jesus might experience if they decide to go public with their decision to follow Christ. Number one, this is what they ask them. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father? Number two. Are you willing to lose your job? Number three, are you willing to go to the village and those to the village and those who persecute you and forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Number four, are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Number five, are you willing to be beaten rather than deny your faith? Number six, are you willing to go to prison? Number seven, are you willing to die for Jesus? These seven questions serve as a sobering reminder for every Christian from every continent of what it might cost us if we choose to follow Jesus. These questions also help us in the West to identify with the threats faced by our brothers and sisters in Christ from other countries as they seek to follow Christ. And so without any ado, let's go right to it. Three lessons. First is the reality of suffering. The reality of suffering. You know, I I can't help but think of our brother Andrew Brunson. I think about him every day, and it breaks my heart to know that a man who is there on a peace mission to share the good news of the gospel with the people of Turkey was arrested 18 months ago and now is on trial for life in prison. 35 years in prison might be his life because he's 50 years old. They've already had the first proceeding, as you know, and it was a, a sham of a trial And now they're going to have the second part a week from tomorrow. So please be praying daily for Andrew Brunson, his wife Noreen, their family, and for the power of the Holy Spirit to move in these proceedings and for God to set him free. That is our prayer. We don't know what the Lord's plan is, but that is our prayer. And thankfully, things have been shaking in this country to get people's attention about what is taking place with Andrew Brunson, who is... From North Carolina. He's been in Turkey for 25 years now as a missionary, 23 plus years in peace, and then all of a sudden arrested for 
Christianization, basically. Uh, they've charged him with being a leader of a terrorist movement, which is just ridiculous. Well, on April the 26th, a bipartisan trio of United States senators introduced legislation to block Turkey's purchase of American F-35 fighter jets. The bill, which is co-sponsored by James Lankford, Republican from Oklahoma, Gene Shaheen, a Democrat from New Hampshire, and Tom Tillis, who is actually from the home state of North Carolina, Republican, would prevent transfer of the F-35 to Turkey and prevent Turkey from being a maintenance depot for the aircraft. Turkey had already committed to buying 116 of these F-35s. And so this bill, if passed, would prevent that sale. In other words, money talks, right? And so I hope this is going to be successful. It looks like this bill will be passed. But again, you never know. Um, they said it is a bill that's been put together in response to Andrew Brunson's continued imprisonment. And, and so as a result, I'm asking you, on behalf of the EPC, to contact your congressperson, whoever that might be, your senator, uh, our representatives, and let them know that we want to see this passed. And you can actually do this uh, by going to the, the websites of www.house.gov and www.senate.gov, respectively, and then search for your representative and then notify them that you'd like to see the Lankford Shaheen Tillis Senate bill passed. It's Lankford Shaheen Tillis Senate bill. And uh, you can also do this on, the, on Facebook as well as Twitter. And uh, I believe the Twitter handle is Lankford forward slash Shaheen forward slash Tillis Senate bill. And so I hope that you will work on behalf to see if we can do something about what's going on in Turkey. Because a lot of times it's only sanctions that gets their attention. It's only this kind of stoppage of something helping them that will do something. So I, I hope that you'll get involved with that. Now look with me at verse 2 of our text. The second verse says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. And then it says, For you know quite well, look at this, you know quite well that we are destined for them. So I want to talk to you about the reality of suffering. Because suffering is not only in Turkey and in other lands, but it's also here. Maybe not overtly, but it's covertly there. Christians are countercultural in the sense that we're going one direction and the world is going the opposite direction. I'll give you a simple example. There's a photo that a, a mom took of her daughter and their friends having prayer before prom at a restaurant, at a Longhorn restaurant. They were praying before they went to prom a group of Christian kids on their way to prom and the mom put it on Facebook and you can't imagine the whiplash that she got for just putting a picture of her kids praying before prom. So I call that covert persecution because all oh, the backlash that she experienced was what do you think this makes your kids better than my kids just because they pray before prom? What do you think they're not going to do anything wrong on prom because they pray before their meal? I, you just can't imagine. So again, be careful what you post because you're always going to get backlash. But, but again, it's sad to me that a, a group of kids praying before prom was, was treated, for the most part, as something vile and horrible rather than something that's a pretty neat thing. John Calvin writes about persecution, about suffering, when he says, Paul teaches that there is no reason why believers should feel dismayed on occasion of persecutions, as though it were a thing that was new and unusual, inasmuch as this is our condition, which the Lord has assigned to us. For this manner of expressions, we are appointed to it. So we really shouldn't be surprised by that. We really shouldn't be surprised by any kind of backlash from people that aren't believers. And yes, we are appointed to it. 
Listen to John Lilly from his commentary on the Thessalonians. He writes, It is enough for us to know that such is the will of God, that this fiery trial happens not without His knowledge and consent and purpose and control, and that both the fervor and the duration of the process are regulated by His infinite fatherly wisdom and love. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny herself, Take up his cross, take up her cross, and follow me. So, do you believe we're appointed for suffering? The Scripture bears it out. If you, if you believe the Scriptures, you believe it. Don't listen to your heart on this because your heart says, No, no, people are actually going to be good and nice about these things. Over and over, the Scripture is very clear that, as we read in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't want hardship any more than you do. But according to Scripture, God's Word bears out that hardships, trials, must come in the life of the believer. And if we're going to triumph over trials, it's vital that we anticipate them. I officiated yesterday at the wedding of my cousin. Have you ever stared into the eyes of a starry-eyed couple about to be married? And, and they have this, this look on their face that, oh my goodness, we get to spend 24 hours a day together now. And when I see that look, it reminds me of W.A. Criswell. He was the pastor at First Baptist Church of, of Dallas, Texas for about 50 years. And he'd been married for over 50 years when he said this. Sometimes I love my wife so much that I could just eat her up. And then the next day, sometimes I wish I had. Paul's point was trials in our lives move us in either one way or the other. And his concern was that trials should move believers to pursue a stronger, more vital relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, to be more careful about their lives rather than to move them to discouragement or even to walk away from the faith. Even to walk away from the faith. In his best-selling book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller, the pastor of former pastor, actually he's pastor emeritus of Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan, shares the story of a woman in his congregation who was learning how the grace extended to us through the work of Christ on the cross can actually be more challenging than religion. Here's what he writes. He says, some years ago I met with a woman who began coming to our church at Redeemer and had never before heard a distinction drawn between the gospel and and religion. In other words, the distinction between grace and what is often a works-based righteousness. He goes on to write, She had always heard that God accepts us only if we are good enough. She said that the new message, this gospel message, was scary. I asked her why it was scary, and here's what she said. If I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty, and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm a sinner saved by grace, then there's nothing He cannot ask of me. Now, I want you to think about that, because that is really strong. I think this woman really got it. She got the dynamic of grace and gratitude. If when you've lost all fear of punishment, you also lose all incentive to live a good, unselfish life, then the only incentive you ever had to live a decent life was fear. This woman could see immediately that the wonderful beyond belief teaching of salvation by sheer grace had an edge to it. She knew that if she was a sinner saved by grace, she was, if anything, more subject to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. She knew that if Jesus had really done all of this for her, she would not be her own anymore. She would joyfully, gratefully belong to Jesus who provided all of this for her at an infinite cost to himself. Think about what... Jesus has done for you. And if you believe this life is not all that there is, then the reality of suffering should be something that in the grace of God, you're able to embrace because we're appointed to it.
as followers of Christ. He didn't say take up a, a basketball or take up a tennis racket and follow me. He said take up a cross. Take up a cross. When people took up a cross, they were heading to die. And so he's saying, be ready to die to yourself. Be ready to die. That's the first lesson, the reality of suffering. It doesn't make the suffering any easier. I mean, Andrew Brunson is going through torment. He knows he's appointed to this, but he also would love to have relief from it. There's nothing wrong with that. Second lesson, the reality of faith. The reality of faith. Look at verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. Did you know this is the only time the phrase good news is used in the New Testament without being connected specifically as a reference to the gospel? The whole point of this letter was, was not only to find out how the Thessalonians were doing while he was ministering in another region, but to express his excitement when he learned that they were strengthened by faith as a community of believers. And back up to verses 1 and 2, it says, When we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to, to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy. We sent Timothy. And then it skips to verse 7. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And, and Paul was urgent about this matter. And I think his urgency should get our attention. It should cause us to ask ourselves some questions. So listen to these questions. Do we consider how we live? Do we really consider how we live? Knowing that if we walk away from the faith, that we're going to break a lot of hearts, that it's going to be devastating to the people that love us? Are we careful to guard and nurture our faith, knowing that it is more precious than gold and silver? Do we daily present our minds and hearts before God's Word that our faith might be protected from the assaults of Satan and the world? When we face trials, is our first concern that the Lord might somehow be glorified in our situation? If not, then we fail to see with Paul that on the issue of faith or unbelief, our entire well-being rests on how we respond. He sent Timothy not to check on the status of their financial portfolio, but to find out about their faith. And why else did Paul send Timothy? To strengthen them and encourage them in the faith. So how is your faith? How is your faith? Is your faith strong? Is your faith growing? Are you convinced more than ever that Jesus is real? The writer of the Hebrews, he called the entire church to this ministry of encouragement. So listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. If you want to turn there, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters. See to it. That means not just the pastor, not just the elders. We're all called to see to this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See to it, brothers and sisters. You've got to see to your own faith in that sense. You've got to hold yourself accountable. You've got to strengthen your own faith each day. But again, that's the beauty of the church is that we can help one another in the strengthening of our faith so that we're not just on our own. And that leads to the third and final lesson, which is the reality of community. The reality of suffering, the reality of faith, and then the reality of community. Look at verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Did you know that over 50 times the New Testament uses the words one another or each other. We are commanded to love each other, pray for each other, admonish one another, serve one another, accept one another, honor each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other, submit to each other, and a whole lot of other mutual tasks. 
These are the family responsibilities that God has given to every believer to fulfill through a local body of believers. So I need to ask you, who are you doing these responsibilities with? Think about that question. And if you're in the middle of a trial of your faith, what should be your goal? I would suggest that to stand firm in the Lord would be a worthy goal. And honestly, if you intend to do that, you really do need the body of Christ more than ever. In fact, none of us are immune to temptation. Given the right situation, there's not a sin that you and I are incapable of. And I know that's a horrible thought, but there's really not. God knows this, and as a result, He has assigned us, the body of Christ, the responsibility of keeping each other on track. And you'd be amazed at how an encouraging word from someone in this fellowship will keep some of us on track throughout this next week. A handshake, an arm around the shoulder, an encouraging word. You know, the the attitude of the world is mind your own business. Mind your own business. Stay out of my business. You ever said that? (laughs) It's not a Christian phrase. The Bible says, carry each other's burdens. We are called, even commanded, to be involved in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then verse 8. I'll finish with verse 8 because it's just so great. And it's the title of my sermon. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You see what Paul was saying? Paul was saying his life was so wrapped up in the lives of these Thessalonians and the other people in his life and ministry that if their life was not going well, then his life was not going well. But, since he received the wonderful news that the Thessalonians were continuing their faith and love and on firm footing, he could rejoice. Do you see how your life is tied to other people? Romans 14, 7 says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, but none of us dies for ourselves alone. As a matter of fact, Satan loves detached believers, those who are unplugged from the life of the body of Christ, isolated from the family of God, and unaccountable to spiritual leaders because he knows that they are defenseless and powerless against his attacks. The Christian life is more than just a commitment to Jesus. It's also a commitment to to other Christians. And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is 1 John 3, verse 16. 1 John 3, verse 16. It's in the, beneath your outline, in your bulletin. Please read it with me out loud. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His own life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for this portion of your body, First Presbyterian. Thank you, Lord, that we love one another. Not perfectly, but we seek to love one another in such a way that people's lives are built up and encouraged in the faith. That their faith is strengthened and that their love is overflowing with thankfulness. Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done for us on the cross. Taking our place, dying our death. And rising from the dead, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're alive and you're praying for us in heaven, praying for us. So encourage us, Lord, today to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to check on one another, to love one another in a way that honors you, Lord. Show us, Lord, how to do that. We get so busy with our own lives. We get so busy with the things of our own family. I pray that you'd help us to look beyond our own family to the spiritual family that you put in our lives that many times does need us need needs our encouragement thank you lord that as we gather in this on this lord's day you are here with us and we praise you for your presence we pray that you would touch our hearts and prepare us for the reality of suffering lord strengthen us for the reality of faith that our faith might be real and strengthen us that our community here might be stronger than ever through jesus i pray amen Our closing hymn is...